speak to us at this time in our worship. Father, uh, it is uh, just an incredible privilege to gather together with others. Uh, we're very mindful of the fact that there are untold numbers of individuals in different parts of the planet that are gathering in some places that are dangerous for them even to do so. They do it at great risk to themselves, but they find themselves drawn to be with others, to want to lift up the name of Jesus and to remember who you are, Jesus, and what you've done. And we thank you for the freedoms that we have to celebrate that uh, here this morning. And Lord, as we uh, finish up what has been an emphasis of uh, us thinking about who we are and thinking about being on mission together, thinking about our mission partners, as we finish this this morning, God, would you speak to us, we pray, and would you convict and encourage and, and lead us so that we would become more like Jesus, have his priorities, have his vision for people and his love for people. This we ask in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, if you were here with us Friday night, we had about 100, 110 folks here. Uh, this room was uh, set up around tables, and we had an opportunity to hear from different ones of our uh, mission partners, people that we partner with. We heard from Rova in Myanmar. We heard from Hope uh, Denecki and what she's doing with Bridge Ministry. She's got lots of cool stories of, of just doors that God has opened up and people that have become close, close friends of hers and, and uh, how in the process of uh, becoming friends, she gets to share her life in Jesus. Uh, we also got to hear um, a little bit from uh, Jim Dinges, who's with Lifelines Crew Ministry. And Jim uh, told us also a number of stories about life change that happens uh, in the lives of people when you get them up on a cliff and they're dangling from a rope and you offer to tell them about Jesus in case they die and they do want to follow him. And actually some really, really cool stuff. Uh, some of you have asked too, uh, Jim is in the process of raising support and is still looking for individuals and families to support him. And if uh, that is something God would lead you to do, then contact Jim and, and let him know you'd like to be a, a specific part of his, his support team. Uh, but we had a great evening, a really good evening, Friday evening. We got to think together about God's dream for the human race, that, that there would be a world with no barriers, uh, no barriers between us and God, no barriers between uh, us and e each other here. Uh, that's really uh, also why we're here. Two weeks ago, we talked about kind of who we are as a church. Uh, we talked about the fact that what we do is make disciples and how we do it. We use the language of reaching up and reaching in and reaching out. And we kind of explained what each of those things are. And then we said, well, what's the why? Why do we do these things? Why do we commit to them? Why do we sacrifice our, our resources, our time, our energy and effort? Why? Well, because there is no human problem that apprenticeship to Jesus will not solve. That's, the, that's just the truth. When one is in an apprenticeship relationship with Jesus, transformation can happen in our lives. Uh, this morning, we're going to head in a little different direction as we think one more time about being the church together. And I want to start by drawing our attention to several questions that you'll, you'll never come across these questions in the Bible. Here's one question. Uh, that would be the question, where do you go to church? You won't find that question in the Bible. Uh, it's not in the New Testament. In fact, it's kind of interesting. There's really no place in the Bible that actually says you should go to church. Amen? Amen. Yeah. 
Uh, there is a real important reason for this. It doesn't mean that you should stop going to church. Uh, that, that's not what it means. Uh, it's just that in the time when the New Testament books were written, nobody ever thought about calling a building a church. Uh, they didn't even have any buildings specifically designed for Christians to meet in and, and have worship together. They just had people, and the people were the church. In fact, the word, the Greek word that we translate into English as church is the word ekklesia, and it means the assembled or the gathered people. And that's how they thought of the church. It's just the gathering, the assembling of the people of God together. But then a strange thing happened over time. What used to be the, the name of the people became the name of the building in which the people met. Kind of weird. Uh, sometimes in our day, people will uh, look at a building where Christians go to, to worship together. And they will say, boy, you have a beautiful church. You ever heard that? Or maybe you've even said that. To early Christians, that would have made no sense at all. Uh, they would not have been able to understand that question. Uh, you have, it'd be a little bit like uh, in our day, maybe somebody uh, looking at a crib and saying, boy, you have a beautiful baby. Just, just looking at a crib, right? This kind of talk would have confused an early Christian. A baby, of course, is a, a person. A crib is, of course, a thing. Uh, a crib is just a place where you put the baby. You don't even put the baby there all the time. Uh, you just put the baby there to rest up and to recharge and to rejuvenate so that the baby can get back out in the world where that little baby boy or little baby girl can thrive. They're supposed to be in the world. Now, if you have a baby, would you want them in a crib 24-7? Only if you're the exhausted mother. Oh, and otherwise, the answer is no. No, I wouldn't want them there all the time. Uh, another phrase that you've never read in the Bible, never will, uh, is this, this question, hey, how was church today? You ever said that to somebody? Hey, how was church today? As people are going out of the first service, you're wanting to figure out whether it's worth staying or not. And so you ask them that question. Um, which is a question that usually gets asked on a Sunday morning, how was church today? And usually that means uh, something like, how did a particular service go? How did that particular hour go? Uh, how was the music today? Was it your kind of music? Did you like it? Was it too loud? Was it loud enough? How did the sermon go? Was it interesting? Were you, did you find it something you could listen to? Uh, how much did you like the talk? By the way, how is the sermon going so far? So far, so good. Okay, we're not very far into it, so hold on to that. Um, it's kind of funny how we measure church by how this one little group of people on this one little platform in this one little building during this one little hour do it singing or talking or, or praying or what have you. You know, how was church today, we ask. And uh, we get kind of messed up around this, actually, this tendency to compartmentalize to restrict this idea of church to a particular place at a particular time. And God is not particularly impressed with us doing that. He really isn't. In fact, a couple of good questions really would be, uh, where does God think the church is? Does he think it's here contained in these four walls? I don't think so. Or another question, how does God think church is going? That'd be a great question to, to ask God. After all, the whole church thing was his idea. And as it turns out, there actually is a passage of scripture which helps us to think about and understand and have an identity about what the church ought to be. Um, if we want to be a church unleashed in the community, if we want to be a church that makes disciples, that tears down barriers, that's a church making a difference for the kingdom of Jesus, this is a really critical passage for us to read and kind of wrestle with. Now, I don't ordinarily read long passages of scripture in our worship because uh, some of you have very short attention spans. You need to be on some kind of drug. I'm not sure what, but maybe caffeine. But the, uh, 
But we are going to read a whole chapter of scripture. Uh, this is from the prophet Isaiah. This is God speaking to his church through the prophet Isaiah. It's Isaiah 58. Uh, and I'm going to read this to you from the Message Bible, which is a paraphrase, uh, not a translation. So it's kind of a, a loose, it loosely follows the, if you've got an NIV or something like that, it loosely follows the uh, translation text that you might normally be used to reading. But uh, the reason I'm doing this is it, I think it will grab your attention. It does a really great job of capturing exactly what God is saying to his people, but it's a, and it's a wonderful paraphrase by Eugene Peterson. So here's the passage you can read along as, uh, as I read, if you would like. I don't mean read out loud. I mean, you can read along in your mind, okay? You with me? How's the sermon going so far? Okay, here we go. Here we go. Shout, a full-throated shout. Hold nothing back. A trumpet blast shout. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family, Jacob, with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship and love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? And love having me on their side. But they also complain. Why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Well, here's why. The bottom line on your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard. You fast, but at the same time, you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. Do you think this is the kind of fast day I'm after? A day to show off humility? To put on a pious, long face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that fasting a fast day that I, God, would like? This is the kind of fast day I'm after to break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in seeing you do is sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering ill-clad, being available to your own families. Do this and the lights will turn on and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The glory of God will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help and I'll say, here I am, a full life in the emptiest of places. If you get rid of unfair practices, quit blaming victims, quit gossiping about other people's sins. If you are generous with the hungry and start giving yourselves to the down and out, your lives will begin to glow in the darkness. Your shadowed lives will be bathed in sunlight. I will also show you where to go. I will give you a full life in the emptiest of places, firm muscles, strong bones. You'll be like a well-watered garden, a gurgling spring that never runs dry. You'll use the old rubble of past lives to build anew, rebuild the foundations from out of your past, You'll be known as those who can fix anything, restore old ruins, rebuild and renovate, make the community livable again. If you watch your step on the Sabbath and don't use my holy day for personal advantage, if you treat the Sabbath as a day of joy, God's holy day as a celebration, if you honor it by refusing business as usual, making money, running here and there, then you'll be free 
to enjoy God. Oh, I'll make you ride high and soar above it all. I'll make you feast on the inheritance of your ancestor, Jacob. Yes, God says so. The message from God through Isaiah is one of the, in this chapter, is one of the great passages of scripture to help us understand who God wants us to be. You see, the problem was the people thought that they would measure how they were doing spiritually by looking at their religious activities. That's what they did. You know, things like fasting, studying scripture, praying, offering animal sacrifices, singing, being deeply moved during the course of their worship, right? In other words, they measured themselves by what they did when they gathered and how they felt about it during this one space of time when they were gathering there at the temple. Does this sound familiar at all? Should, yeah. God says that's not the right way to measure. That's not even measuring the right stuff. God tells them to measure by what they did during the rest of the week when they were out there in the world. Gathering together to worship and to learn and to, to have community is a really good thing to do. In fact, your growth will be stunted without it. I hope you make a very deep commitment to gather with others, to worship, to study, to learn, to pray, to grow. And I hope you do that for your sake. I hope you do that for the sake of your children, your family. But know this, this is critical. We do not gather here solely for the sake of ourselves. We come to the crib, so to speak, to rest up, to get recharged. And here we get nourished so that we can go out into the world and be the church. As a church, we want to reach up to God. We want to be changed and transformed because we regularly connect with the Heavenly Father, learn from Him, and allow His Spirit to speak to us and change us. We want to reach in and develop authentic community with each other where we're telling the truth about who we are, not pretending to be somebody we're not. And then we must also absolutely must reach out. This is essential. Healthy disciples go out into the world to show, to tell the world, Denver and beyond, about Jesus, who he is and, and what he's like. Healthy disciples want the world to flourish in every way, spiritually, economically, relationally, educationally, in every way. And for that to happen, people everywhere need to know about Jesus and his kingdom and that Jesus is coming back. You know, when I was in Israel many, many years ago, I had a chance to study there one summer. At one point, I had the privilege to uh, stand on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. Very beautiful lake. If you've ever been there and seen it, it's just gorgeous. It's a very life-giving lake. They still fish the lake today. Uh, fish are abundant, all kinds of aquatic life. Well, out of that lake flowing southward is the Jordan River, and it flows for about 87 miles down into another, another body of water uh, that we call the Dead Sea which is a very different kind of lake. It's called the Dead Sea for a very specific reason, and that's because it's dead. It, there really nothing grows in this lake. It's nine and a half times more salty than the ocean. Uh, no fish, really, of any kind. Uh, not even much vegetation can grow in it. Um, and you know what killed the Dead Sea? Stinginess. Stinginess. It takes in from the Sea of Galilee and the Jordan River north, and it doesn't give out anything. There are no rivers flowing out of the Dead Sea. Now, here's the thing. Churches can be that way too, unfortunately. 
We're not supposed to be, but we can be that way. Sometimes are. Church isn't something that you go to, you know, in here, inside these walls. Church is something actually that we are supposed to be. It's something that we are out there, individually and together. In Chicago, which is where Holly, my wife, grew up, um, there's a chain of restaurants. It's called Ed DeBevix. Anybody ever been to an Ed DeBevix? A few in the first service. Yeah, a couple of you have. Uh, it's a kind of a super fun diner. They have wait staff that are deliberately hilarious and sarcastic. Um, they complain out loud about the customers and things like that. They're a bit matter of fact and rude. And the restaurant has a slogan and it's actually plastered all over the walls. It says, eat and get out. That's the slogan, eat and get out. Now, uh, <laughs> I wanna do this just the right way. I, I don't wanna be rude. I mean, I am very grateful that week after week after week, did you know that? Some of you don't know that we do gather here every week. I've been reminding you of this each week. But week after week, we get to gather here. And uh, when we do, we don't want to waste our time. We, re we really don't. We want to be fed. Uh, we want to learn together. We want to be inspired in worship. Uh, we want to be nourished uh, by getting to see friends and speaking somewhat into their lives and letting them speak into ours. We, we want love. We want encouragement to happen here. We want to be reminded of who God is and obviously be reminded of who we are and our need of God. But understand, we don't do all of this for ourselves. We just don't. We don't do this to create a safe little cocoon where we can escape from the world of hurt out there and the world of need and the world of pain and the world of risk. On the contrary, we the church exist for the world. The church's place is in the world. And here's the message that we want to send when we do gather. You know, one of the things about Deer Creek that I love, always have loved this, we always have visitors. We always have people kind of checking us out. And, and uh, oftentimes in the midst of, of that group of people, there are some checking out this thing of who Jesus is. That's just one of the coolest things that, that I love. And, and when they come here, I hope that they perceive, and, and I admit, I'm, I'm sure we don't always get this right, but a message that we would love for them to get from us as we interact together is that everybody is welcome here, everybody. And that nobody here is perfect. Nobody, nobody. I mean, it's, it, I know you're prone to think I'm perfect. I understand that, but I'm not. And the better you get to know me, the more obvious that becomes. Nobody is perfect. And here's the thing. We celebrate around here the fact that anything is possible. What that means is that I can change and you can change. And so can your spouse and your neighbor and your friend. I mean, in other words, anything is possible, even changing a human heart. Now, that's the message we want people to get when they come here. But after they've come here, what we basically want them to do is eat and get out. That's what we really want them to do. The world is waiting for you, you see. Do life out there in ways that demonstrate, really demonstrate who Jesus is. Demonstrate his humility. We get that wrong a lot. Sometimes Christians think they know it all. You know, we have the truth of God's word, so we know it all. Well, no, we don't. No, we don't. Christians have a lot of questions. A lot of things Christians don't know. But we give off a message that we, we tend to know everything. So humility, mercy, truth. Truth is embodied in Jesus. Look at how Jesus cared for, loved, and forgave people. We want to demonstrate goodness and joy and patience and kindness. And here's one, gentleness. Jesus was so gentle. You see, too often Christians proclaim, we proclaim our faith in ways that alienate people and we fail to proclaim it in ways that are helpful. 
or ways that are winsome or ways that are humble. I read this online. A guy was being uh, tailgated by a stressed out, very angry woman on a busy street. And suddenly a, a light changes to yellow. And instead of, you know, gunning it and going through, he slowed down and stopped, kind of like you're supposed to. Uh, some of us don't do that really. But uh, this did not make the angry woman who seemed to be in a hurry very happy behind him. She starts blasting the horn, um, starts screaming in frustration. She's waving her hand. She's making some hand gestures and things like that, finger gestures. And uh, right while she was in mid-rant, just, you know, venting at this guy, there's a tap on her window. And she looks over and turns out it's a policeman. And the officer orders her to exit her car and asks her to put her hands up and takes her to the police station. She's searched, she's fingerprinted, she's photographed, actually put in a holding cell briefly. And just a, a bit later, the policeman approached the cell, opens the door and, and invites her to come out, takes her back to the booking desk. And uh, there's the officer who had arrested her and brought her into the station. And he apologizes, ma'am, I'm sorry. I made a mistake. I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn and flipping that guy off in front of you and cussing a blue streak. And, you know, I noticed the Choose Life uh, bumper uh, license plate holder there. And the what would Jesus do and follow me to Sunday schools, bumper stickers and the chrome plated uh, Christian fish emblems. You know, you've seen those. And naturally, I just assumed you had stolen the car. And the point is, you know, it doesn't help to have Jesus on your bumper sticker uh, if you're driving like the dang devil, right? It doesn't help. It does not help to have Jesus stuck on your bumper sticker when he's not taking root internally in your heart. I'll tell you a little secret. Living where we live here in the Denver metro area, we are not going to win the world for Jesus with a bunch of bumper stickers. It's not going to happen. Tell you another secret. Our world and the Denver area don't particularly care about what happens in here, in our crib, so to speak. They don't especially care if we sing cool songs or hear a cool talk or have a cool building. They could care less. Turns out what the world around us is waiting for is actually what matters most to God. And it's what the church is really called to do and to be. So in the name of Jesus and for the love of God, we have to figure out what it looks like to feed the hungry and house the homeless and clothe the naked and care for the sick and visit the prisoner and help the jobless find work, help illiterate students learn to read and help dying people find hope and help orphans and widows and the elderly and help lost people. Discover who Jesus really and truly is. And so, you know, what I'm saying is, is I... I don't want you to just come to church. Coming to church isn't a great measurement of how we're doing spiritually. I would rather you be the church so that when we leave these walls, yes, we've had a good time here together, but we actually are different out there. Um, I believe that God has an Isaiah 58 mission for each and every one of us. I really do. In fact, I'm certain of this because I know that without it, what we become is we kind of just become a dead sea. I mean, that's the picture. That's what we become if we don't have an Isaiah 58 kind of mission or ministry. 
And so the call is for every single one of us who follows Jesus to not just come to the crib, but to identify the unique way in which God has put us together, the spiritual gifts we have, the talents and what have you, and live as if on mission for Jesus wherever we live and in whatever we do, wherever we go. Uh, We do this as a church collectively, and we do this as individuals. So now, how are we doing so far? Okay, shift gears with me. Two things that I'd like to finish with. First one is a challenge to you. I am going to challenge you again to consider participating financially in supporting and joining in with others of us to support our mission partners. These are people that we pray for. These are people that we connect with in ministry and we support them financially. These are people who help us extend God's kingdom in ways and in places where we could not otherwise be. These are strategic partners. Every year at this time, we ask you to pray about partnering with us to make a difference. This year, we're asking or seeking to raise $121,400 to supplement what we give from our general fund towards missions. These are dollars that we give over and above our regular giving. This is sacrificial giving. You know, in your bulletin, I think you have this 2017 missions budget. Um, I'd point out just a a couple of things from there. You'll see the 44% of these dollars go toward church planting. Why so much towards church planting? Well, because we believe that's the number one best way to extend the kingdom of God into new areas and new places. Plant churches. Put groups of Christians there. Uh, gathering and meeting and loving and serving uh, in communities. Uh, we have, as you know, a church planting apprentice here. Uh, we have Brett and Aaron, the, the Westons and the fa- their family that we hope to send out and plant a church in the, in the Denver metro area. Deer Creek Church also helped to start an organization called the Western Church Planting Network. We partner with a dozen or so churches across the front range for the purpose of church planting. We put significant dollars into this organization. This organization is right now planting three other churches using some of our money. That's something that we do every single month. We contribute to the Western Church Planting Network. Uh, We've got Rova, who's a missionary in Myanmar, and we've shared this several times with you, but Friday night we really celebrated what Rova's doing. Rova's reaching out to Buddhists with the gospel, with the good news about Jesus there in Myanmar. We love our partnership with Rova and what he's doing. We have Bob and Andrea Burnham in the Ukraine uh, planting churches. Uh, We have Global Che. This is a group of people in Guatemala who not only put in uh, fresh water, fresh water drinking systems, but they plant churches. Every village that we go into to put in a new water system is a village that has a church planted in it. So that's 44% of uh, what we do with our mission dollars. 23% goes to individuals who are doing evangelism and discipleship. And we got to hear again from some of those uh, Friday night, Hope shared with us. Uh, There's Andrew Fuller with Athletes in Action. Uh, Again, an evangelistic discipleship ministry um, on campuses. Got to hear from Jim Dingus with Lifelines and and how you use the out of doors to get people out of their normal routines, to get people examining their lives and in situations frequently where they're a little bit under stress. You know, like a 60 or 80 pound backpack, you know, that kind of stress. And over the course of a week and conversations that happen, they open up spiritually 
And Jim had some fantastic life-changing, uh, life-transforming stories to share about people that he's been on mission with, you know, that he's had uh, out in the wilderness, uh, taking them uh, into the beauty of things that God had created. 23% of our budget goes there, 9% to Mercy Ministry. Uh, you'll hear more about some of these, a couple of these in a minute, Columbine Community Village and, and Love, Inc. But uh, this is, these are ministries designed to speak into where there are financial needs, housing needs, uh, food needs, all kinds of needs that individuals have uh, that live right around us. And as I said, you'll hear more about that in a moment. And then we take a, a sizable chunk of the budget, 24%, for mobilization purpose. That's to help fund people going on short-term mission. Uh, th this is also to address needs that, emergency needs that our missionaries have, which come up every year, things that, that fall into this category. But that's kind of just an overview of, of what we do with the dollars that people pledge and give to help support our, our mission partners. And I'll tell you what, supporting these people, we believe here, is vital for us. Their work is an extension of our work. We are interested in growing these existing partnerships. Once upon a time, we feel we had too many partnerships. And we were supporting uh, each of these partners too little. And we are working to reverse that trend. You know, instead of a mile wide and an inch deep, we're trying to reverse that. We'd rather be a, a mile deep and an inch wide really more significantly involved in the ministries with our mission partners and more significantly involved with them financially. And that's the trend that we've been working on and, uh, for some time now and are continuing to do so. But know this, when you make a faith promise to support these partners, you are joining with many of us to do something worthwhile with your resources, something that is of eternal significance because people's lives are impacted for eternity through these people's ministries. Now you have in your bulletin this little card. We call it a faith promise card. And uh, you'll notice there's no place on there for your name. Um, what we really ask you to do is pray about participating financially with us. You know, what is it God would prompt you to give over and above your regular giving? Write that number in there and then give that in the upcoming year. And when you do give, you know, put that on your check. This is faith promise. The reason we ask you to turn these in, we don't need your name or anything, but when you turn those in, it gives us an idea of, of how we're doing and are we going to make our budget for supporting these mission partners because we want to continue uh, when it's appropriate to add a partner or continue to support uh, a certain partner uh, more deeply, uh, more significantly. That's the, the nature of the faith promise. Are you, how's the sermon going so far? Are you with me? Okay, that's the first thing I would ask you to consider. Now, here's the second thing. It's also a challenge. I would challenge you and or your life group. It can be you individually. Most of us are in a life group uh, in this church, or it, it would be you with your life group to identify practical ways that you can carry out an Isaiah 58 mission individually or corporately, you know, with that life group. Consider how you might partner with one of our ministry partners. Is there a ministry partner that jumps out at you that you and your life group could pray for them? Um, is there a ministry partner that kind of piques an interest of, of several of you in your life group and you could, you could connect with them and find a way to serve them? Uh, you know, one of the ways that Holly and I have done this in the past is we've gone on short-term mission trips. This is a phenomenal way to grow spiritually. Um, uh, it's a great way to serve. Uh, we've gone to Guatemala to help put in water systems in villages. 
Uh, getting to take a short-term mission puts you in touch with the people that you're serving. It helps you to appreciate the leaders that are there on the ground that are indigenous to uh, that area where you're working. Just a fantastic way to serve uh, and to also grow personally at the same time. When you get involved like that, oftentimes when we would go to Guatemala, you get invited into someone's home. And it's a very powerful thing in a village uh, that's my uh, that's my mission outfit there. It's, uh, yeah, enough said. Uh, we've been uh, we we have had the opportunity to go into homes in several Guatemalan family families, and and when that happens, it's pretty powerful. Um, oftentimes, these homes are a one or two room type of dwelling, made out of mud brick or tin. Floors are usually dirt. If, if they have some means, uh, they will, they will uh, concrete the floor, you know, and they'll have a concrete floor. There's often just one sink in the main room with a garden hose or a PVC pipe serving as the faucet. This water is not really drinkable, and yet this water is used for everything. Usually there's a wood stove of some kind in the, in the home for cooking. Often, uh, if the village has electricity, a lot of villages don't, some do, uh, each home will have a wire coming from the main line strung right into the main room of their home, and there'll be a light bulb screwed in there. They'll have that one source of electrical uh, output for their homes. These homes oftentimes have little patches of land next to them where they're growing vegetables, food that they need to survive. Uh, and that's kind of the nature of the homestead oftentimes that you run into when you get into these Guatemalan villages. I was thinking, has anybody here ever gone through a remodeling project where you're remodeling a kitchen or a you know, bathroom or something like that? Is that awful or what? Uh, you know, it's so frustrating. They always take too long. It's always more money than you thought going into it. It's messy. It's difficult. It's inconvenient to say the least. Well, uh, here's a picture of one of the outdoor toilets, actually, at that home that you just saw. That's the bathroom for this home, housing about 11 people. About 15 feet away from this toilet was the kitchen. And here's the thing. Neither her kitchen or her bathroom is going to get remodeled anytime soon. What you see is what they're going to have. Now, I'll tell you a little secret about these folks. They're not hoping that some Christians in America are listening to a cool talk or getting to sing some cool songs, or sitting in a cool building. They're not hoping that some Christians in America find a way to live a balanced life. You know, that's the holy grail for Americans. We're just trying to figure out how to have balance in our lives, right? <laughs> They're hoping that somebody somewhere just cares enough to help. They're hoping that somebody is living out Isaiah 58. They're hoping that somebody remembers the words that Jesus spoke when he said, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. You see, this is what we are called to do and be as a church. We're called to reach up and connect with God and be so transformed by him that we start to look like and sound like and act like Jesus. We're called to reach in and create authentic community, no pretending to be better than we really are, but create authentic community with each other. And then for God's sake, we reach out into a world, the world that God so loved. And I would just challenge you, consider when the opportunity presents itself, we would love to see short-term mission trips go to Ukraine, short-term mission trips go to Myanmar, short-term mission trips go to Guatemala. When you hear about those opportunities, consider, pray about, 
think about participating in a trip like that. Is the sermon going okay so far? Okay. You're not supposed to lie in church. You, you got that? Okay. Now, you know, if short-term mission trip is not a possibility for you, maybe something like this is. Maybe you have a heart for senior citizens. Uh, let me see here. Oh, there we go. Arnie, why don't you come on up? This is Arnie Snyder. Arnie is with Columbine Community Village. He actually started uh, an organization here that serves homes that are right here locally. Uh, they empower older adults to remain in their homes, which is a very, very significant issue. As you get older, you don't really want to leave your home, but oftentimes it gets harder and harder to do the simple things you need to do in order to stay there. I love the fact that this is a network of neighbors helping neighbors, Columbine Community Village. And uh, there's also, this is also a group that encourages intergenerational opportunities, what younger generation to serve older and so on. Arnie, I'd love for you, Arnie's going to be out in the lobby too afterwards if you want to know more about opportunities, but I, I want Arnie to share with us kind of uh, what, what some of the opportunities look like if a life group or an individual wanted to get connected right here and, and having a, a way to serve, what would that look like? and dignity while living in their own homes and neighborhoods. Uh, it's been said that there are three plagues of old age, loneliness, helplessness, and boredom. So we try to reach out to people who, many of whom are as invisible to us as sometimes the church is to the outside community. And the ways in which we do that, we do things like provide rides so that if someone cannot or perhaps should not drive they can call for a volunteer to come and take them to the store, to the doctor or someplace they need to go. They can call for a handyman that might uh, be able to come out and do a very simple repair, something you or I might be able to do very easily, but becomes more difficult, more challenging for an older person. And also, which if they try to do it themselves may pose a risk of them falling and get, uh, getting hurt. So we do that, we do social events, we do a lot of things to encourage friendship. And those things do help to alleviate the helplessness and a lot of the hopelessness and the boredom. That's the what and the how. The why is to give people a greater sense of purpose. And I know no greater way to give people a sense of purpose than to have Christians involved who share their lives, share their faith, and use this openness that many people have to draw them into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. We have um, a lot of ways that you can get involved. For as little as five or 10 hours a month, you can be a driver or you can do a part-time handyman service. If you're interested in website or newsletter or perhaps event planning, we can use you there. If you're interested in leadership, we have opportunities there. And finally, if you have a life group, We've got a number of suggestions of ways that you could be involved, adopting a family, uh, teaching a class, doing any number of things. And they're written on a, uh, some forms so, uh, that we have out in, out in uh, the lobby. So if you are interested, talk to me uh, or check the booth or check the website. It's columbineathome.org.
Thank you, Arnie. Yeah, thank you. What's really cool about this too is that this is a, an organization that, you know, it's not, um, it's not just made up of Christians, but it's pr- predominantly populated by Christians. Gives us a, a chance to love on and connect with and make friends with people who uh, may not know Jesus and then to get to really love them uh, in Jesus' name. Uh, if that's not something that interests you, here's one that might. Uh, obviously in our community, more than you would think, uh, we, uh, we have folks who just fall on hard times, have various kinds of needs. Is uh, Sherry here? Come on up, Sherry. This is Sherry Martinelli. Sherry is uh, on the board of uh, an organization that we got to help start with some other churches. It's called Love, Inc., Love in the Name of Christ. And um, Sherry, it'd be great if you could kind of do the same thing. Tell us a little bit about Love, Inc., and then also tell us um, how an individual or a life group could become involved in serving. What would that look like? Yeah. Well, first of all, I heard of Love, Inc. uh, probably a month after we moved here and visited uh, Deer Creek. And I said, what is Love, Inc.? And when I heard it was bringing churches together of all different denominations, so the church, to transform lives in the name of Christ, working together to help people in need, I said, okay, I want to help with this. Because we've lived in quite a few places. We've been part of many different churches of different denominations And I said, why aren't we on the same team? Well, that's what Love, Inc. is all about. And I am so excited because I first started volunteering, and then somehow I got on the board, and I'm so so excited what we're doing. And Deer Creek is one of our uh, churches that's part of it. We have 31 churches here in this greater Littleton and beyond area that we work together to find out what the needs are of people in need. And I'll just go real quickly. And I was thinking, for life groups and individuals, there's something for each of you, whether you have a couple hours a week or a month, or you want to do something regularly, you can do that. First of all, it all starts with a clearinghouse. We need people who are willing to answer phone calls. So, like, when someone comes to our church and says, I've come into hard times, I have no money for rent, I I need food, I need diapers, whatever, it's really nice when a church can say, you know what, here, call Love, Inc., And that way we know for sure that that person really is in need. So they call us and they get uh, to talk to someone in the clearinghouse who has been trained, so you'll be trained, to know to ask all the right questions to find out exactly who they are and what their needs are. So we need those kind of volunteers. Then once we find out their needs, then we send them out to our different uh, groups, churches, uh, we call them gap ministries. So then one of the things we do for moms who need diapers on a local quick basis, it's called Dipes and Wipes, and another one is called Haven's Hope. So we will give them immediate diapers. So right there, if your life group wants to do a diaper drive, you know, uh, every time you go to the grocery store, buy one more pack of diapers, any size, because we will help people in need that way. But then Haven's Hope, which is where I first started, we actually mentor the moms They have to come once a month, So they have to come to us. We meet at a different church, Faith Community Church. We meet with them, find out what's going on in their lives. Then there is food there from Panera's. There's clothes for them to pick out from. Then they get a bag of diapers for the month. These are diapers for children, not... Correct. Not not elders. Because our our life group already has diapers for ourselves. I see. Well, if you want to give your depends to us, you you can do that. Uh, But um, no, it's all for children, three and under. 
But you know what? We are learning something that we want to teach people how to fish, not just give them fish. So we are also changing almost everything we're doing into a transformational ministry thing called Impact. And we are going to hold classes on Thursday night. Skyview uh, Church has volunteered to donate their space to us on Thursday nights. We need now, we need mentors. We need people to help with childcare. We give them a meal. If they come, we actually give them maybe gas cards. We give them, uh, they can go do their laundry. We give them incentives to come each week to learn how to handle their finances, how to do parenting a little better. So that's another thing called impact. Feasts of love, we hand out meals. We used to do it Thanksgiving. Now we, we found out lots of groups do it Thanksgiving. So now we're doing an Easter time where we actually, your life group can get all these bags. Um, you know, you make a whole Easter meal and we give those out to people in need. Giving heart, this is another thing that's so neat. Um, there is a building on Broadway that was donated for Giving Heart. They're open now only on Tuesdays. We want to open on Thursdays. And as for homeless to come, they have a place they can call their address. You know, if you're interviewing for a job and you don't have an address, how, how will that look on your resume? So now they have a computer they can use. They have an address. There's a counselors there. They get food there. It's a wonderful place, but we need volunteers to volunteer on Thursdays um, just so we can open up another day. They also open on Saturday nights. They have a church service there. If you just want to visit Giving Hearts location and just check it out, go on a Tuesday and see what they're doing. It's very impressive. But on Saturday nights, they have a church service, and they want to give them dinner. So we need people like I heard of one life group at Waterstone. It's their newly married. They take one Saturday a month, and they make the dinner, and they do all the child care for everyone who has children that come to that. Um, Hearts for Teens, it's a holiday gift thing. We used to hold it here. Uh, it was wonderful. We found that little kids get gifts from all different places at Christmas. But what about teenagers? If you're from a family that has no extra money, they're not going to spend it on their teens usually. Well, we learned, too, that we've just been giving out gifts. And now we're going to have a whole new plan of how we're going to come alongside families who have teens and help them shop, help them. If they save so much money, we'll double it. I mean, it's really a great thing. Love on Wheels, we also give uh, trips, but not just for seniors. Anyone who needs it, uh, who needs a ride to the hospital or something like that, you can volunteer that. Prayer Warriors. Another great thing, Renewed Treasures. We have a secondhand store on Broadway right behind the McDonald's, right near Solid Grounds, the coffee shop. If you've never been there, it's a Christian coffee shop. But anyway, um, and Renewed Treasures, it used to be just clothes and household knickknacks and things. Now we opened up right next to us. Now we take furniture. It's a 100% volunteer run. So if you've ever wanted to have your own gift store and you want to help with, with selling or design, whatever. But what I've learned is I used to only take my good things there. Now I take everything. Because whatever they don't use, they give to ARC. And then ARC pays us quarterly for whatever poundage-wise we give them. So Renewed Treasures is, is giving money back to Love, Inc., but then if someone in need, like, just had a fire or they, they lost everything, someone came in and stole everything, we give them a voucher, and they can come in and shop. 
I shop for a lot of my clothes there first. Then I go to other places. Be sure and check that out. But you can have your kids collect their toys and their clothes and say, let's give it to Renewed Treasures. That's another way of getting kids involved, and I'm almost done. No, nope, you can senior, hear about the others after there. the service. There we go. <laughs> Thank you, Sherry. Sounds like it would be good to, if you have any extra lead, take that to the organization, and then the ark will pay by the pound. Uh, you get the idea. Here's the thing. Whatever catches your heart or grabs your attention, don't wait for the perfect opportunity. The perfect opportunity is not going to come. Don't wait for the perfect strategy. Don't even wait for the perfect time. I'm guessing your life is busy. You know, these things, you, you have to find a, a, a way, perhaps with others, to carve out a certain amount of time a month to do something like Don't wait until you have everything figured out. Ask God to guide you. He will. Ask him to help you take steps toward an Isaiah 58 kind of approach to living with and following Jesus. Volunteer, pray, prayer matters. Go on a trip, do something together with your life group. What you'll find is that it's a lot easier for God to get involved in a life that is already in motion versus one that's just dead still. Think dead sea. So how is church today? Well, the truth is we don't know yet. We don't know because it's not about what happens inside these walls, you see. Jesus gave his life to bring down barriers, walls of hostility. We've talked about that. Jesus gave his life so that we could come into walls, within walls like this and celebrate the truth of who he is, but then go out there and live out these things that we know to be true. This means that God's plan is to have a church with no walls, really. We want to be that kind of church, a church with no walls, a church that actually does care about lost people, care about lonely people, care about people who are poor or old or forgotten or helpless. And I am so glad you came here to our crib today. And I hope it has been a good gathering for you. And I hope that maybe something has encouraged you or something has nurtured you or inspired you or touched you by God. I hope that has happened. But here's the thing. Eat and what? Get out. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for the time to be in this room together and to worship. We thank you for the opportunities that have been mentioned. And God, we prayerfully ask you to guide us individually and as life groups as we think about showing and telling the love of Jesus, both through our partners in other parts of the world or here locally through our partners that are literally right outside these doors. God, would you guide us? Would you direct us? Would you help us live and care and be more like Jesus? For we ask this in his name. Amen.